Well, I have been in a great dilemma this week trying to figure out what the sermon would be on this first Sunday of the year, not because I couldn't find something to preach, but because I've got about four or five things on my heart, and it's hard to pick just one. And so I've settled on Romans chapter 13 as we think today about the truth that we'll find here, Romans 13, 8 through 14, if you have your Bible, please look at Romans 13, 8 through 14. And the title of the message is Nearer Than Ever. We are closer, we are nearer than we've ever been, brothers and sisters. If you don't know Christ, you're nearer to death than you've ever been. You're nearer to hopelessness than you've ever been. But I know that I'm preaching predominantly and I would trust entirely to believing men and women today who love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you come to the end of your day and you repose your body down on your bed at night, you can think this thought every day. I'm one day nearer home. I'm one day closer than I've ever been. I'm one step further than I've ever been. We can say that every day. And here at the beginning of the year, I think it's good maybe to think about these big things like our salvation that is just before us, the final phase of it called glorification. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And one day we're going to be glorified. And that is nearer than it's ever been. And I'm kind of liking the sound of a, a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness that Peter talks about in chapter 3 of his second epistle. We've never known an earth where there's nothing but righteousness. There's much unrighteousness in this world. There's much heartache and brokenness and, and bloodshed. Even now, perhaps, we are at the verge of a great a worldwide uh, conflict. Who knows what the future may hold, Right? And my heart leaps and longs and pants for better things than we read on the front page of the newspaper. I long for a day when there will be a pure ruler in this world called the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect King of Kings, who will take the governments of the world on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, and who will execute perfect justice and perfect Everything, we could say. And until then, we watch and we pray and we weep and we remind ourselves and we come alongside fellow believers and we remind them, don't give up. Don't give up. The past is not our master. We're not slaves to the past. We serve a Lord who gives new beginnings and new starts and new mercies. Amen. And so whatever missteps, whatever ways that we have stumbled and blown it and been, been even fools, perhaps, in the past days, weeks, months, or years. We can start today with a fresh tablet, a fresh record, if you will, a fresh start. Let's think about that. Let's read this text now, Romans 13, verse 8 through 14. Owe no man anything but to love one another. So he says, don't be indebted to others. Pay your debts. But there is one debt that you will never fully pay. Do you know what that debt is? It's a debt that we owe and we'll never fully pay it. We'll be paying and paying and paying and we'll never get it paid. The balance will always be there. It's the debt 
of love. We never have reached the end of love. We've never loved, and now we can say, okay, I'm done loving. I don't need to love anymore. It'll be a debt that we just have to keep paying out all the time because we can never repay the Lord's love for us. So love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal what he's got. I'm not going to covet what he's got. I'm not going to lie to him. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to commit adultery because that would not be loving to my neighbor. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We talked about this at the men's breakfast a little bit yesterday. We talked about Christians have a superpower. You know, Superman could run faster than a speeding bullet and leap over tall buildings with a single bound. And he could stop a speeding locomotive. He was so strong. And we talked about some superpowers that we read about in the comic books. Uh, Being able to disappear, become invisible, and nobody know you're right there with them. And then you come back. Or being able to travel into the future or back into the past. These imaginary things that we read about or see in the Hollywood movies. But Jesus Christ's people has a real superpower. Something that's supernatural. You can't explain it any other way. It's the power that the Holy Spirit in us enables us to do. It's the power to love. To love people that's not like us. To love people that's difficult to love, perhaps. To love people that have wronged us, even. To love people that don't love us back. How can we do that? We do it with a superpower, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of a new heart. And the world can't explain that, and they can't really argue against it. It's just the most powerful evidence as a believer walks in love walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, loving, forgiving, bearing with one another, throwing a blanket of love over one another instead of holding grudges, perhaps. Loving one another. How can you do that? How can you do it, beloved? You say it's hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. It's not just hard. It's impossible. Except when the Lord himself resides in us by his Holy Spirit. He gives us that new heart that happens in regeneration. John chapter 3, except a man be born again. We're born again. We're literally made alive and given a new heart. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And now we can do something that this world scratches its head about and says, I don't get those folks. Those are some odd ducks. How do they do that? They love one another. They love one another. I went to church years ago, and one of the deacons in the church had a bumper sticker on his tag, and it said, I don't get mad, I get even. And I thought, I was just a young boy at the time, and I thought, that's really not a good thing for a deacon to have on the bumper sticker of his, of his truck. <laughs> I wasn't a theologian much, but I knew that wasn't, didn't sound too, too uh, appropriate. How can a Christian be the opposite? How can we 
not look to get even, but just say, I'm going to show to my brother or sister that which the Lord has shown to me. I'm going to show some grace. I'm going to walk in love. It's a superpower. It's a supernatural thing. And we are, I trust, growing in that and learning what that means and learning how to resemble our Lord Jesus. What was we when he loved us? Were we godly when he loved us? When Jesus died on the cross, were we righteous and godly and upright? The scripture says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And while we were yet without strength, that is no power to change ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. And then Romans 5, 10, 6, 8, and 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So Jesus died for his enemies, and we're told that we are to love our enemies as well in Matthew 5. So it's a superpower. It is a distinguishing mark of a believer. We follow the path that our Lord has blazed for us, and it's a bloody footprint path. It's a difficult path. It led him down the Via Dolorosa right up to Calvary's Hill, and yet it was a path of, of love, sacrificial love, hard, difficult, demanding love. He didn't love from his easy chair and his recliner. He loved with thorns in his hands, on his head, and spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet, stripped naked, shamed before men, and yet he would say, Father, Father, destroy them. No, no. He would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. And it is finished. And now let's continue our reading in Romans 13, 11, And that knowing the time, we're talking about time, we're talking about a new year. We're trying to get used to now writing 2020 on our checks. It's, we know the time, but do we know the the time in God's program. Are we aware of how late it is in God's, on God's calendar? We do. We understand something of that. We know the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly or properly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so he says, you know the time. You know that the hour has already come. It's high time. The hour is here. Wake up, Christians. Whenever we think of sleeping physically, we lay down at the end of the day, tired, exhausted. Sleep is sweet. It's a gift of God. He giveth his beloved sleep, it says in Psalms. But in this passage, he's not talking about that good gift of God where we sleep and refresh our bodies. He's talking about wake up out of your spiritual slumber. To sleep spiritually means moral laxness, 
carelessness, slothfulness, a negligence to do what you should do. Wake up. Get about it. It's high time to wake up, beloved. Don't be lethargic. Don't be apathetic and unresponsive to the things of God. The call here is for alertness. Stay alert. It's high time to wake up. The hour is here. The hour is here for us to wake up and to be spiritually alert and, and careful. Why? Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. And here he speaks of that final phase of salvation called glorification. With every day we live and every breath we take, and as the second hand ticks its way around the face of our watches, with every tick of the second hand we are getting closer and closer and closer home. Closer to that day when our bodies will be changed and we will be healed from every physical ailment. There'll be no more diabetes, no more high blood pressure, no more limps, glasses, hearing aids, or canes. No more wheelchairs, no more hospitals, and no more funeral homes. Hallelujah. That sounds pretty good to me. How about you? We will be receiving that final phase of salvation called glorification where we'll be changed into the likeness of Christ with a glorified body. It's nearer, beloved, than it's ever been. Paul writes in another place, the time is short. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says that we are the ones upon whom the ends of the world have come. We are the ones that are right at the end of the age. You say, when did the end of the age start? It started when Jesus came. God in these last days has spoken unto us by his son, Hebrews 1 says. The last age, the last era, the very end began when Jesus came the first time. And that was almost 2,000 years ago, right? Roughly, roughly 2,000 years ago. So if it his first coming, the end of the age began, where are we now? Are we at the end of the end? Are we right near the very, very end? Perhaps. We'll not set dates today or, or make predictions, but we know that our salvation is nearer than when we believed. We are the ones that James wrote to when he said in James chapter 5, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And don't grumble against one another. The judge stands at the door. He's right at the door, beloved. He's right at the door. Any minute, he's going to put his hand on the door, and he's going to open the door, and he's going to appear. Do you believe that? You and I are taught that in his word. We're called to trust in his promises and to believe that and let that govern our lives. It's time to wake up. Wake out of sleep. The hour is here. The night is almost over, verse 12. The night is far spent. That night here is the present age, this age of night, this age of sin and trouble and deception, and this night of evil, this night of, of trouble and trial. It's the night of man's depravity. It's the night of Satan's dominion. Satan is free right now. He's roaming about and deceiving and devouring and dividing, but his night's about to end. The night is far spent. That day is at hand. What day? What day is it that's near? The night's almost over. What day is it that's almost here? It's the day of Christ. 
the day of his return, the day of his reign, the day of his appearing. We shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. 1 John 3, 3. So in light of his near return, beloved, are you listening? In light of the fact that the night is almost over and we're about to begin a new day. What day is it? The day of Christ's rule when he comes. In light of that, cast off sin and wear the armor of his righteousness. Cast off the works of darkness, verse 12. Put on the armor of light. We're not of the night. We're children of the day. We're not of the dark. We're children of the light. Walk like children of light. Put on the armor of light. Let your lives reflect the light of Christ, not the darkness of this present age. Stand out in this world, beloved, as a Christian. Stand out in this world, not by being odd, but by following Christ. By being upright, by putting off sin and clothing yourselves with armor, the armor of light. Walk properly as a believer, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in these wild carousings and revelries. And one translation even says orgies, not in these things and drunkenness, not in chambering. It initially meant a place to lay down, hence a bed, hence it denotes it immorality and sensuality. Don't walk in those things. It's inconsistent with your profession. Don't walk in it. Put that off. Cast that off. Don't neatly lay it aside. Cast it away. Tear it off and throw it down and be done with it. It is of the night. Let us walk in the day. It's almost here. The hour has come, beloved. Not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So question, is Jesus Christ in us as believers? Is he already in us? Isn't that what the New Testament teaches us as Christians? Isn't Jesus in his people? Indeed he is. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So he's already in us, but here he tells us now, put on the Lord Jesus. We already have his indwelling. He's in us. We have a righteous standing with God. But here he's calling us in our daily walk in this world to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive from him all that you need to live in this world as as children of light. It is a laying hold of, it is a renouncing of these six things that he's mentioned. And it is a laying hold of the sufficiency of Christ, appropriating all that he is. It is saying what John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. It is denying myself, taking up my cross and following him, Luke 9. It is to enter into his views. What does he think about something? That's what I'm to think. I'm to put on Christ. I'm to 
be holy on his side. I'm to take his side on all matters. If there's an issue in my life, that there will be many issues in my life, here's how I'm to decide what the issue, how it's to be resolved. What is Christ's view of this matter? What does he say about it? That's to be my, my view as well. I'm to wholly enter in to his views. I'm to be totally on his side. I'm to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he uses that full title there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that full title. That's meant to awaken us, beloved. That's meant to grab a hold of us. It's like someone comes close to you and puts their hands on both your shoulders and said, listen to me carefully. And you snap to and you don't wander in your mind. You're listening. You're locked on. You're, you're ready to receive what it is they're so urgently about to tell you. And Paul says, it's time to wake up. The Lord Jesus Christ is your life and you're all walking him. He's about to appear. And you know this. It's time. You know the hour. It's nearer than it's ever been. And for the Christian, that is joy. Amen. For the Christian, that is joy. That's comfort. For the unbeliever, it's, it's, our, it's the worst nightmare. For the one that does not know Christ, it is, it is horror, unspeakable to think that as we go about this life, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, is going to come back and step into our rebellion and put down all those that have not heeded him and followed him. But for us, right now we're on the down part of it. We're, we're, we're beat down. We're in this world mocked. Christians are idiots, the world says. Christians are naive. Christians are uh, they're losers. This is what the world says. But beloved, it's going to be flipped very soon. And the last shall be first. And the first of this world, the high, the mighty ones, the winners, the successful people, the beautiful people, the rich and mighty and high and godless, the first shall be last. And they will smite their breasts and say, how could we have been such fools to have mocked the name of our God? How could we have lived so foolishly as to not bow the knee to Jesus? And so today, here's, the, here's, our, here's our call. It's already the hour. Let's wake up. Let's clean up. Let's dress up. Let's look up. Jesus is coming. Amen? Wake up. Get out of bed. Wake up. Clean up. Get rid of some things. It's a good time to do it. You have resolutions, first of the year. We'll save a few pennies, lose a few pounds. That's all right. I've got some better ones for you, though. Let's live on Jesus Christ. Let us draw near to Christ. Let us treasure Christ. Let us wake up. It's nearer than it's ever been. Put on the armor of light. Look up. Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. And all God's people said. I don't know of any better way we could start out this first Sunday of the year than to come together around the Lord's table. So let's prepare for that right now. We're in a new covenant with God. We don't bring lambs, doves, and bulls, and various other sacrifices. We just, we just bring faith, and we look back to the sacrifice God provided. 
his dear son. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to remember him. Remember what it cost God to save us. Remember what it cost God to wipe our sins away. God was both just and gracious. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to just act like it never happened. I'm just going to forgive them. Because you see, God is just. He would not violate his own standard of holiness. He is just. Sin will be punished. If God says the soul that sins, it shall die, and then God does not execute the justice, God would be a liar. So God says the soul that sins, it shall die. And when we sin, death comes, but he lets it fall on Jesus instead of us. Praise be to his name. He is both faithful and just to his holy standard, and he's both kind and gracious to undeserving wretches like us.